Hello, and welcome to From Russia with News, a weekly news and analysis podcast brought to you by the Moscow Times. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Millions of citizens of Russia are united by the Olympic dream. I view the Russians as a far greater challenge that we have. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. A unique country, not bad, not bad at all. My name is Jonathan Brown, and I'm an editor based in our newsroom here in central Moscow. This week on the program, Nastya Rybka has been described as an escort, a model, a sex huntress, and a sex trainer. But above all, she's an unlikely character in the U.S. investigation into Donald Trump's relationship with Russia. I mean, originally she was asking for U.S. asylum. She wanted political asylum, and her kind of bargaining chip was, I have these recordings proving Russian election interference. We'll be joined in the studio by Alec Loon, correspondent for The Telegraph, to talk about what comes next for Rybka after her release from detention in Moscow on prostitution-related charges. And later, a territorial dispute between Russia and Japan dating back to the end of World War II is back in the headlines. The leaders of the two countries met in Moscow this week to try to resolve the deadlock, but neither side seemed willing to compromise. It will be very difficult for Putin, and he needs to present very clear reasons why uh, he's going to give this to uh, small islands to Japan. And for that, you really need to have something on the table which you don't have now. We'll speak with Alexander Gabuov of the Carnegie Center in Moscow about why it is proving so difficult for Shinzo Abe and Vladimir Putin to find common ground. First up, dramatic footage of Nastya Rybka being detained in Moscow's Sheremetyevo airport circulated on social media this week. But she first became famous in 2016 by posting a video online of oligarch Oleg Deripaska on a yacht together with Russia's former deputy prime minister, Sergei Prokhodkor. Next thing we know, she's been arrested in Thailand, where she claimed to have recordings that proved links between Deripaska and the Trump election campaign. Alec Loon, the Telegraph's correspondent, was at a bizarre press conference called by Rybka's lawyer this week after her release in Moscow, which the escort failed to show up to. Alec, first of all, why don't you give us a sense of who exactly Rybka is and why she matters? Yeah, well, that's the that's the big question is is how she kind of fits into the puzzle. It seems like she's part of it, but um, she's a model and uh, self-described hunter of huntress of oligarchs who um, basically had a fling with Alek Deripaska and uh, recorded a lot of audio on her phone as part of that. Took a lot of photographs and eventually wrote a book actually about it. Um, and m- most interestingly, was she was on this yacht off the Norwegian coast in 2016 when uh, um had uh, Deputy Prime Minister Prekhodka on his yacht. And um, in this kind of, this kind of, uh, I guess, Ribka accidentally managed to record a lot of this. Um, not really knowing what she what she was kind of getting into. Um, because I, you know, she she wasn't really, I don't think, up on the politics at the moment. The the uh, Trump campaign in the United States, um, the ties between Deripaska and uh, Manafort. So, you know, I, I think one thing that does get lost is people aren't exactly sure what actually came out of that um, the recording that uh, that Ribka did. Um, I know my editors are 
kind of confused about this every time we write about it. Um, so really, I mean, now the, the Instagram posts are deleted after legal action by Derrida Posca, but back when they were up, um, it was... Um, First off, you you had kind of video footage where Deripaska is seen talking with Prijolka on this yacht. And then um, you had some audio footage, which was separate, in which Deripaska is talking, apparently in the presence of Prijolka, because he refers to Prijolka by his, um, you know, Sergei Eduardovich. Um, and he is talking about how, um, ru- why he says, Russia has bad relations with the United States. Why is because of Sergei Eduardovich's friend, Victoria New. And then he goes on to tell this weird story about um, this kind of the story about how Newland was on a Soviet whaling ship and all this stuff. Um, and then uh, in the caption to the video, Ribka says um, that, that the two of them discussed the issue or the problem with America. So, I mean, from these kind of, you know, she didn't she didn't record the smoking gun that would have uh, prove, proven that Deripaska, shortly after receiving, as we know, an offer for, uh, for private briefings from Trump's uh, then-campaign manager, Manafort, um, was discussing U.S. relations. Uh, you know, all these, these things kind of come together to really paint a picture that he was discussing something related to the United States with uh, a top uh, Russian official. I mean, Prikotka also is not just a, a deputy prime minister, which of which there are several in Russia. He is a former top aide of... Of Putin and a former top aide of Putin who answered for foreign policy issues, um, something like ten or twelve years he was with uh, he was a, an aide to Putin. So um, very influential figure, even though he's a bit behind the scenes um, in, in Russian politics. Anyway, the, uh, so you know that's what we know that she has, and, and that's what she's put up. Actually, nobody knew about that until Navalny um, kind of dug up this video in, in February of last year. Um, and that's when the story blew up. That's when we started covering it. Um, that's when every kind of everybody found out about Rudibka. Right. She had been on Russian television, but nobody had any idea who she was in the West. Um, then she's yeah, uh, she's in Thailand for this this weird sex seminar. She's detained there. Um, you know, there's and and there's always this sense that that powerful Russian people are kind of coming after her because actually the, the day. Um, after she was detained in Thailand, um, Nikolai Patrushev, the the head of the uh, what is it, Security Council, right. um, flew into to Bangkok uh, for an unknown reason. Um, you know, surely he doesn't he doesn't do that every day. So, uh, you know, you just kind of get this sense that um, you know they're, that they're really worried about whatever it is that she has, if she has it. Of course, in Thailand, she met with. Uh, you know, Thai prison, apparently Thai, pre- Thai pretrial detention, you can have visitors, including press. So she she did an interview with CNN in which she claimed to have re- uh, additional recordings, including of Deri Pasca with three unknown right. Americans. And then um, uh, eventually last week she was uh, freed from Thailand, um, deported to her native country of Belarus, and uh, somehow... On the way to Belarus, she was dragged out into the you know the non-transfer zone of, of Moscow, uh, of a Moscow airport, and detained very roughly by 
we don't actually know. I don't. I don't think who these men were who were right. detaining her. Airport employees, FSB officers. They didn't look like police officers. They weren't dressed like them. Um, and anyway, once they kind of drag her out, then she's detained. Um, and uh, there's talk of charges of prostitution here in Russia, but that doesn't come to anything. Uh, she appears in court. The court delays the decision on what uh, on whether to throw her in pretrial detention or not. She makes a very strange statement in court, and then she's. Um, then she's uh, eventually freed, uh, as it were, two days ago, uh, very suddenly for everybody, uh, after she had made a statement promising not to release any more recordings. So, you know, you get the, you get the sense that, that you know, whatever, uh, people are very, Derry Posca, probably the Kremlin, are very worried about her. That doesn't mean she has the recordings. I, it just, it, they could just be, you know, kind of... Uh, cracking down just in case she has something um but yes it, i mean it's still an unanswered question because yesterday when when we she had this press conference and we were hoping to get the answers to this uh, and, and other questions she didn't show up and uh you know that's where we're at today um and her lawyer yesterday i mean it was a we kind of we came in we sat down we w- started waiting eventually her lawyer came out said she's not here maybe she will come um and he started answering questions but he didn't really want to say anything and he definitely didn't want to say anything about possible uh, russian interference in the u.s election what a saga and, and now uh Derabaska has made this decision as of a week or so ago not to show up to davos to the economic forum in in, in the alps uh, do we have any sense that uh that Rybka's re-emergence may have played some role in that in that decision i mean i i would i would think that Derabaska wouldn't want to be in a public setting where some journalist might catch him um to answer questions about that um you know i've my interactions with with him have been limited to me calling up his uh, his press people, which is actually difficult because he has kind of a uh, several different companies, and it's never clear which one to go through. Right. But um, you know, I've spoken to press people for all of them. Uh, it's it's very difficult to get any sort of comment from them. I think once I got a written statement, mostly they just declined to comment. And um, you know, he's he's very much not a, a press friendly kind of guy. Right. And so I can definitely imagine that you know, with with Ripka showing up, he he didn't decided better not you know put myself in a situation where somebody might catch me, especially not now when things are going his way finally in the United States. Right. Um, you know, apparently U.S. lifting. Sanctions on his companies, uh, not the personal sanctions on him, on him himself, but uh, but you know the U- United States lifting sanctions on his companies, which actually is probably more a product of the fact that they realized that they would kind of screwed up international metals markets by sanctioning these major major companies. But nonetheless, you know it's it's a good time actually for Teddy Pasca, and uh, you know he certainly doesn't want the Ribka saga, as you as you called it, to uh, kind of you know ruin that all of a sudden. We get the sense that uh, that well. Deripaska and and Russian Russian officials in general are 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 keen on keeping Rybka quiet. How likely is it that that she actually does have information that that could be compromising? I mean, that's the million dollar question. Uh, she claimed while in Thailand that she had sixteen hours of recordings. Um, she claimed that she had photographs of Deripaska meeting with an American, and that he had met three different Americans while she was around. Um, you know, I, I could definitely believe that, but I wonder if, um, you know, I want, I, I've, I, I heard a story actually from a colleague about, um, how people were, <laughs> something about how, uh, People were disappointed that Deripaska wasn't coming to Davos because he's he's known for throwing good parties, right. and um, 
you know, and there's a story out there about uh, him partying with an American lobbyist. And uh, uh, so basically, I mean... You, you have to wonder if these Americans, I mean, who were they? Were they, they could be lobbyists for him. They could be, I mean, obviously they're, they're, we know that Dirty Pasca has a very active lobbying uh, kind of operation in the United States. Um, I think that played its role in, in the, his ability to get these sanctions apparently lifted on his, on his companies. Um, so, you know, it, it could be something like that. It could be something, I don't know, related to the Trump campaign or, or, or Manafort. We don't really know. Um, what, what I would, but you know, I, Either way, I would think that U.S. Uh, that you know uh, Mueller and, and and U.S. investigators would want to have a look at those um, recordings, and we know that there has been some interest apparently from their side because um, while they were in Thailand, well, I think it was according to CNN, um, FBI visit FBI agents did speak with them. Right. Um, so it does look like there was some 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 interest from the from the side of the United States. Um, you know, did they? Did they receive something from her at that point? Did they? Um, I, I kind of, I kind of doubt it because she was kind of bartering these recordings. As a, she was, I mean, originally she was asking for U.S. asylum. She wanted political asylum, and uh, and uh, and her kind of bargaining chip was, I have these recordings proving Russian election um, interference, which which you know muddies the waters of the whole thing because. Uh, you know, she had something to gain by claiming um, to have these recordings, claiming to have this evidence. Um, so it's it's uh, you know it's not as as clear anymore. Maybe you know she could easily be exaggerating. So I don't really have any good answers about wh- what's in those recordings. I don't think anybody does, and that's why we were really hoping to talk with her. Um, you know, I was in the I was in court on Saturday at the hearing, and uh, really hoping to talk with her there. But um, it was interesting actually. The, the the first thing she did right when she came in. Um, so you know, she they let they let her down the hallway, put her in the in the defendant's cage in the courtroom. All the journalists were waiting outside. Then they let in the um, then they started letting people in, and all the the cameramen rushed up and started filming her. And immediately, I don't think anybody even asked her a question. She just started kind of uh, just kind of went into this loud kind of um, uh, emotional statement um, in which she said. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to publish any more recordings about Deddy Pasca. Um, he he needs to relax. <laughs> was her exact words. And uh, I have criminal cases against me in Russia, Belarus, Europe, and Thailand. I'm, I actually didn't know about the Bel- any Belarus charges against her, so that was interesting to hear. But um, you know, so she went into this speech saying that she wasn't going to say anything, basically. Um, and then after that, I kind of managed to get up close enough to yell something at her, and I and I asked her, um, well, what about about uh, election interference in the Trump campaign, and she just kind of shook her head and kind of um, mumbled something. I couldn't make out what she said, but you know she made it clear that she wasn't going to say anything, uh, especially on that topic. And uh, so, yeah, all, all the questions still remain. Um, and of course, that statement is very interesting in, in light of her sudden and very unexpected release. I mean, if anybody knows the Russian court system, it's very unusual that, you know, investigators get their hands on you, think they, you know, are, are talking about criminal charges and all of a sudden let you go. I mean, it's very much a, a system where um, the state investigators, you know, get a lot of leeway to just build a case and the person usually just sits in pretrial detention while they do that. And so the fact she's, she's been released is shocking. And um, and it's hard not to interpret that in connection with the statement she made that I won't publish any, anything more right. damaging on uh, Diddy Pasca. 
what's what's next for what's next for her? I mean, we're all just waiting for this press conference to happen, and she she's promised that it still will happen. Um, she claimed in this video yesterday that uh, she was sick, and that's why she wasn't able to come. Um, she said, "My face is all puffy. I've gotten right. sick." I mean, her face did look puffy. I mean, I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna say that she wasn't sick. Um, so maybe it'll it'll still happen. Um, I'm assuming that uh, I'm I'm not expecting at this point though to get uh, the kind of the revelation about. U.S. election interference that we've all been hoping or not hoping, but just um, well hoping to get an answer to, um, because you know, as she made clear in court, uh, she doesn't want to uh, stir up anything with Dirty Posca anymore. Um, she made a very interesting in in the video when she said I was sick and couldn't come to the press conference. She she was thanking the press for helping her, and she thanked the the president of our beloved country. And it's not clear who she was referring to with that mm-hmm. comment because on the one hand she's from Belarus, so I mean Lukashenko. I mean because her lawyer did say that. Uh, or she had said that, um, or sorry, Belarusian officials, embassy officials had said that they had helped get her out. Right. And Lukashenko himself had said that he yeah. had ordered his officials to intervene right. in her behalf. So so there's that. But but then again, the, the lawyer said yesterday when we were sitting there at, for an hour waiting for Ribka to show up, the lawyer said that um, somebody asked him about that. And the lawyer said, no, it wasn't uh, Belarusian officials. Belarusian officials didn't have, play any part in getting mm-hmm. her out. Um, you know, of course, the lawyer is very much enjoying his time in the spotlight and, it has, and also mentioned, you know, his own effective professional work on her behalf and how that had helped. You know, that was a deciding factor, according to him, uh, you know, rather than some sort of deal with Deripaska or with the Kremlin or Lukashenko or whatever. Um, so, you know, he's, he's obviously um, kind of on his own. Uh, you know, playing his own, singing his own praises to to a certain extent, but uh, you know, I but I didn't see any evidence of Belarusian of- officials doing doing much of anything. Um, so you know, you have to wonder since she lived for many years in Russia and kind of worked in in Russia, uh, if she didn't mean Vladimir Putin, and and then you wonder if um, if there was some sort of a deal, and I mean, maybe there wasn't a, an actual deal where somebody called some you know. Didipaska got on the phone with Ribka and said, "You know, you're not gonna, you know, ha- give me all, give me all your phones or something." And and Ribka said, "Okay, just let me out of jail." You know, that might not have happened. I think people kind of overestimate the degree to which those kind of direct, kind of you know, explicit things happen in in, in Russian politics. I think a you know, as a lot of, as with a lot of things in Russian politics, it could have very well been uh, just a game of these kind of signals being sent back and forth. And Ribka sent a signal that I'll be quiet. And so the the state the state investigators whoever they're you know what playing on the side of the state obviously sent back a signal that okay well you know we will let you out for now the charges are not um, the charges still exist right that she hasn't officially been charged with them but the case is still open so at any point she could be in other words she's been let out but still on the hook um, so it seems like. Uh, like we won't get any kind of new revelations out of her um, because, you know, presumably as soon as she started making any rumblings about that, they would, they could bring those charges back and she could find herself back in jail. We'll be watching this space. Alec, thanks very much for taking the time to be with us in the studio today. My pleasure. In the run-up to the 25th meeting between Vladimir Putin and Shinzo Abe on Tuesday, 
Expectations that the two leaders could solve a decades-old territorial dispute were, well, very low. Even though analysts say that both sides have much to gain from a peace deal, they were again unable to break the deadlock. After the talks, Putin didn't mince his words. Ahead of us, he said, lies painstaking work to create the conditions for us to arrive at a mutually acceptable solution. Joining us in the studio to discuss this is Alexander Gabuev, a senior fellow and Asia expert at the Carnegie Center in Moscow. First of all, uh, let's get the let's get the basics right. Can you describe where these islands are and why both sides are claiming them as their own? If you look at the Russia's map, it's to the very, very, very east. <laughs> you have the Sea of Okhotsk, and there are the Kurile Islands on the right rim of the Sea of Okhotsk. If you look at the Japanese map, it's right up north. That's why they are called Northern Territories. <laughs> uh, the four disputed islands, like two of them, the Kunashir and Interrup, are rather large. The uh, Shikatan Island is tiny little, and Habamai is basically bunch of uninhabited rocks. That's it. And so, what is what is the what is the um, the the essence of the dispute? Why do both sides claim them as their own? Uh, Soviet Union has captured them as a result of World War II after coming into the war against Japan late in August in a context which was already not that much about World War II, but was much more about the Cold War already mm. and rivaling sphere of influence, including in Asia. And uh, that's why the Soviet Union went after Japan and defeated their grouping in northern China and sized these islands as well. And since that time, Japan claims that, oh, the Soviet Union violated the peace treaty and uh, the Soviet Union and now Russia says, no, 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 no. We keep the islands because these are results of World War II and you need to recognize the results of World War II just as Germany did and then everything will be fine. This dispute has been bubbling under under the surface in, of bilateral relations since then. Why is it, uh, why is it making headlines again now? Why, why has it reared its head? I think it's a personal... It's domestic, political, and it's geopolitical. Personal, I think that the person in the driving seat now who is drumming the beat that this question needs to be solved is Shinzo Abe, the Japanese prime minister. He is the strongest and the longest serving Japanese prime minister in the last 150 years, probably, Uh, even more. Uh, And... uh, he promised this on the grave of his late father, who used to be foreign minister of Japan and pushed the resolution of this issue as well, that he will do whatever is, is in power to solve this issue ultimately. And he feels that I'm the strongest guy that Japan ever had over the last century. Vladimir Putin is the strongest ruler of Russia. He has this experience of giving territory when he had this border dispute with China. He is now oh so popular because he took territory from Ukraine and annexed Crimea. His approval rating is sky high. So if Japan is to negotiate with somebody, this is the guy, and now we need to clinch a deal. If you look at the political calendar, Abe will step down in September 21. Uh, Putin is just re-elected, so he, he has this six years 
long-term time frame, but closer to the end of his second term, he will be limited by politics. So now, 2019-2020 is exactly the time where you need to go for, for a solution and for a negotiation. And the geopolitics around that, I think Abe is watching Russia moving closer to China as a result of Western sanctions and uh, annexation of Crimea. And he definitely doesn't like these dynamics because he used to trust in his ally over the ocean. Now, I think that this source of global disruption uh, is Washington, D.C. So mm-hmm. how much trust in this ally can I have? And I think this is pushing him to say, hey, I need to normalize relationship with Russia in order for Russia not to fall even more into the arms of Xi Jinping. At the beginning of this week, even before the talks on Tuesday ended unceremoniously, you said that we shouldn't expect any major breakthroughs. Why? Why is that? Why, in your view, is is this doomed to 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 be prolonged? I think that there is strategic reason for Japan to pursue this resolution, and there is strategic reason for Russia. As much as China is a good and natural partner for Russia, Russia definitely doesn't want to be fully a junior partner of China. And we want to have an alternative out there, including in Asia. So Japan could be something like my boss, Mitri Trenin, likes to say, Germany for Russia in the East, like an advanced large economy which could contribute to modernization. And if you give two small islands, one of them is just a bunch of rocks which are uninhabited and get a lot of Japanese investment and money, uh, and then you seal the territorial dispute, that's an upside and that's a strategic gain worth pursuing. The problem is that the current politics and all the combination of factors uh, prevents Russia from gaining anything meaningful. And number one, do we get real inflow of Japanese investment and trade to Russia? No, because of the sanctions, because of volatile commodity prices, and because of terrible investment climate, particularly in the Far East, but then in Russia. So the Japanese companies were happy to invest into large projects like the Sahalin to uh, LNG plant or building the Toyota plant uh, in Russia a decade ago, where Russian economy was booming, where the oil was over 100 for a barrel, and everything was going in the right direction. Now, Maxim Oreshkin, the Minister of the Economy, is chairing the Bilateral Intergovernmental Commission. So you open Ministry of Economy's long-term uh, a forecast for, for Russia's economic growth till 2036. And then it says that even if we implement all of Putin's glorious decrees, the Russian economy will grow about 3%, so below global average. And uh, which Russian oil field or gas field is part of U.S. sanctions next year or if Mueller report comes out? So that's something that the Japanese company are looking for. And that's where they think "Mm, probably it's not the best time to invest. And last point on this, unlike Xi Jinping, who had all of these policy banks which can provide money to sanction Putin's friends, Japan doesn't have it. It's a democratic market economy where the prime minister doesn't control your big businesses, even the state-owned companies which are looking for U.S. sanctions. Do you see any circumstances under which Putin and Abe might might come to a deal? 
I think that if Japan really drops the claim for two bigger islands, and that's official, so Abe either has a courage to go out to the Japanese public and say, "Hey, we are never getting the two bigger islands. Let's forget about this. So let's have two small islands because that's max we can get." And there is also strategic rationale. We don't want to see Russia as a slave to China, providing a lot of you know territory, boom, strategic weapons and stuff, which is damaging to our. Or long-term national interests, uh, unless we see this happening, which is also very difficult for Abe domestically, I don't think that we will see anything because Russia is uh, as much as it wants to have an alternative. It's definitely not desperate. Uh, the economy is growing. I think that. Uh, the oligarchs and Putin and all the government are washed in cash. We have a surplus budget this year, so why now? Like, what is this that you gain, which makes you to、uh, make a concession? It's not that much in the short term. Plus, it's hard to see Putin in a position where he would be willing to 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 jeopardize the territorial integrity of of Russia. I agree. I think that the circumstances around、uh, territorial concessions to China、uh, back at the turn of the century were entirely different. I think that if you are looking for achievement, foreign policy achievements throughout Putin's、uh, years in power. That's it, because that was an ascending China. Imagine Russia trying to settle the border with China now. After the way China handles、uh, South China Sea or the Klang Plateau with India, because it's a much more powerful and confident nationalist China. So back then that was much easier, and Russia tried to do that、uh, as fast as possible. Now it's a different game. Also after Crimean annexation, so I totally agree with you. It will be very difficult for Putin, and he needs to present very clear reasons why、uh, he's going to to give this to、uh, small islands to Japan. And for that, you really need to have something on the table, which you don't have now. Peace treaty is just a piece of paper. Everybody in Russia knows that. Is this issue just going to to fall away from the headlines? Is it likely just to 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 disappear? Uh, I think that Abe will continue to push because there is always this miscalculation that oh Russia is also afraid of becoming a slave and junior partner to China that、uh, I can find the right words to convince Putin that it's working or I bring to his hot tube onsen we drink sake and then he will understand it、uh, <laughs> but I don't think that in the current dynamics there is something which can really break this deadlock. Alexander, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us in the studio. Thank you so much for the invitation. Pleasure. And to finish off, we all know that Russia has a tendency to brush off international incidents, but reports of a new board game—yes, you heard that right—seem to have taken this phenomenon to a whole new level. Our boys in Salisbury is the name of the game for sale online for the equivalent of about a dollar. Based on pictures of the cover, players will retrace the route that two Russian agents took to the city in England, where they are believed to have poisoned a Russian ex-spy and his daughter. The Salisbury Cathedral features on the cover of the game in crosshairs, and the word "finish" is written over two figures in hazmat suits. So there you go. Those are your weekend plans sorted. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes. I'm Jonathan Brown. Our producer today was Piotr Sauer, and thank you to CM Record Studios in Moscow for hosting the show. Join us next week on From Russia with News.